Welcome to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers podcast, where we share the latest information and views from industry leaders. This is Liza Berger of McKnight's Home Care. I talked recently with Krista Drobak, Executive Director of Moving Health Home. We discussed the new group's policy priorities, its goals for the future, and how it began. We grew out of the pandemic and the number of people that were receiving care in the home. It finally gave some evidence and some experience around caring for patients in a more expansive way than just home health or home and community-based services. We're talking primary care, hospital and home, labs and diagnostics being done in the home, dialysis, home infusion. And so we thought, you know, we've been working on telehealth and remote patient monitoring policy, but those are tools to enable a home to be tech enabled. And so what do you do once the tools are covered in Medicare? We actually wanted to have the care models covered. We spent the first year really working on the policy and what we were going to try to advocate for. So we had a consensus-based deliberations about our priorities and specific policy agenda. And now we're in the midst of trying to advocate for that agenda on Capitol Hill and within the Biden administration. What are the specific policy priorities of moving health home right now? We have three main priorities. Well, I should say the overall umbrella is education and raising awareness about what is possible to do in the home. Because if you say healthcare at home to most policymakers, they think home health. And we're saying home health is a foundation, but really there's so much more that can be done. And seniors really want it. And so do caregivers. So we've done some work around, we've done surveys, we've done studies, we've done webinars where, you know, we're really trying to just get the word out there about how many seniors in particular really want this and the kind of evidence that exists already. Um, But our three main policy priorities are hospital at home, skilled nursing facilities. So basically, you know, post operative care in the home and rehab in the home. And then the third is really just a, a large conglomeration of all the things that you can do in the home. Again, dialysis, infusion, primary care, labs and diagnostics and personal care services. So we have bills on all three of these topics. And we're also working on creating a caucus in the House of Representatives dedicated to expanding care in the home. So we have a lot of activities that are built around the advocacy. In the short time that you have been in existence, have you found there to be a lot of challenges? And what about victories? What can you claim as victories in the short time that you've been around? The challenge is interesting because I would have thought that policymakers would intuitively be supportive of care in the home. Because, I mean, all of our personal experience, at least my personal experience, is that my parents who are in their 80s don't want to go to a facility. And so I just thought that that was somewhat ubiquitous because in the polls do show that people really don't want um, that. It's not that they don't want to go to institutions, it's that they would they would want the home to be an option. So a big challenge has been just my over optimism about uh, policymakers um, belief that care in the home is um, the the way to the future. Um, There's still a lot of trepidation about costs or um, you know, mainly costs, but some fraud. And also the interesting part is there's been this perception that it is not 
um, doesn't contribute to home e uh, health equity, which is interesting because we connected with a lot of the public hospitals and who serve mainly low-income populations, and they've had a lot of success with care in the home. And, um, you know, the power dynamic changes, that you're not inside a system, that someone is a guest in your home, and people who have traditionally been disenfranchised feel that they have more power in their home. So it really is also a health equity issue. Um, but getting that education and that word out has been a bigger challenge than I would have expected. Um, on the success side, I do think that we have exposed the diversity in the healthcare world of those that want to provide more services in the home. When we first started, we thought, oh, we're so diverse. You know, we have hospital systems and home health and innovators um, and technology companies. But once we got started, we realized, oh my gosh, we're missing dialysis and infusion and even like durable medical equipment. And so that there's actually this much bigger universe of sectors within the healthcare industry that want to become more home-based providers. So I think we've exposed that, which has been a success. Interesting. Let's talk hospital at home for a minute. You mentioned that this was one of your policy priorities. And you had also said that your organization was an outgrowth of that pandemic. Are you concerned that the hospital without walls waiver will end with the end of the public health emergency and with that possibly momentum for hospital at home? That is a key concern of ours and one of our most vigorous advocacy priorities is to extend the acute care at home waiver. But you know, that is not the only way to get at this. Uh, we do have champions in both the House and the Senate on a bipartisan basis who want to extend the acute care at home waiver. But there's also a broader way to do this because, you know, that waiver was created for a somewhat of a different purpose. And also it isn't doesn't include everything that you would need, all the flexibilities that you would need to do a really robust hospital and home program. So we also have a demonstration project that we are shopping on the Hill that does include a bigger set of flexibility. So we're kind of working on two tracks. Either way, whatever Congress does, they're going to want robust evaluation because if we come back in the future and want a bigger hospital at home program in Medicare, we're going to need to show the evidence. We do have evidence, but they're going to want a, you know, a government report basically saying that um, it expanded access and didn't cost more money. Mm -hmm. The proposed home health rule is the biggest news story right now in the home health world. How big of an issue is it for your organization? Are you kind of leave, leaving it up to the more home health centered organizations to fight this battle or are you part of that too? We have jumped into the fray. I just published a blog on this last week because home health is foundational to care of a home. I mean, if we can't even preserve the foundation, how are we going to expand? And, and so we, we have originally, you know, kind of thought, well, home health is its own sort of established box and we want to make the box bigger. Um, but now if that starts to erode and the cuts will certainly erode access to home health um, and seem completely ill-conceived at a time when the workforce costs and recruitment and retention are just incredibly costly. Uh, so, but yes, the answer to your question is we have jumped into that fray mainly because we need to maintain the foundation of what we have today. Mm -hmm. 
I want to talk about Amazon Care. Uh, they dropped some news this week. At least their parent company did when Amazon said that they are actually shuttering this healthcare pursuit at the end of the year. They were and are one of your founding members. What are your thoughts about this news and what it might mean for your organization? Yes, Amazon was part of our telehealth coalition alliance for connected care, and um, the Amazon care product was heavily used telehealth. And so I think they saw the same thing that we did, which is if you you know, enable um, technology in the home, the next step is then to enable people to get care out of outside of institutions. Um, so they did come over with the other members of the alliance, for example, Intermountain and Amwell, and we're just a member like everyone else. And we were just as surprised as everyone else um, that that this happened. It remains to be seen what the future holds for healthcare at Amazon. But I think any tech company, like we have Intel, for example, like tech companies understand that home-based care is the future. So who knows? I mean, we've got Amazon still has Alexa and other things that they do in the home. So maybe they'll uh, continue to participate. Right. And they're still obviously interested in home care. Uh, they recently bought a major healthcare company, and I believe they're, they're quite interested in Signify Health, which is a huge tech-enabled home care company. Exactly. Yeah, we, uh, we're watching with bated breath to find out what happens next. <laughs> but we, right. we don't have any special knowledge. <laughs> Let's um, now turn to another huge subject in home care, which is Medicare Advantage. Medicare Advantage, the private Medicare plan, really has kind of become a polarizing issue for home care, hasn't it? It seems that there's those people in groups that quite like it, but then you've got a whole set of organizations that are really kind of disenchanted with the program right now because they just don't pay as well as traditional Medicare does. What do you think about this controversy? I have not been steeped in the controversy. We just did a webinar with the Better Medicare Alliance, which is one of the leading advocacy groups for Medicare Advantage. We just responded to the administration's Medicare Advantage RFI, Request for Information, talking about some of the real successes of MA, particularly in the supplemental benefits um, for people with high needs who want to stay at home. We have very successful vendors for MA plans like Landmark, for example, in our um, coalition dispatch. I mean, a lot of the shining examples of care in the home do come from partnerships with MA plans. So I think they have the flexibility to really do it. If you look at fee-for-service, the conditions of participation in Medicare really don't allow for a lot of the kinds of flexibilities that you would need to get this done. So in our minds, Medicare Advantage is showing the way of what could be done in fee-for-service. And if the yesterday the enrollment numbers came out in Medicare and Medicare Advantage is really gaining on Medicare fee for service, if I remember quite correctly, I think that it was only I don't I don't actually should probably say it, but it's it, I remember things being struck by how much the MA program is growing. So I I guess short answer is I haven't been privy to controversy because we have embraced MA. Mm-hmm. I did attend that webinar, and uh, I learned a lot from it. 
And one of the things that the participants talked about, and we have heard this before, is that if you want to play with MA, you have to prove your value. And they're very interested in data, if you can provide it, about how you might be able to reduce hospitalizations and and save costs and things like that. Is that the secret to really embracing MA or being included and feeling ownership over MA? Yes, absolutely. If you think about Medicare Advantage, they're a capitated plan. They they don't make extra money. Um, if, I mean, they do have risk adjustments. So they, you know, the government recognizes that MA plans, if they care for sicker people, are going to want to invest in more care for those people. So th- there is additional funding for caring for high acuity patients. But outside of that, they are capitated. So they have to provide all of the fee-for-service benefits. And if they don't provide value, they lose money. So I think they're only going to invest their supplemental dollars in things that will demonstrate success. So I do think that evidence and you know cost savings is essential to the MA partnership. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in knowing a little bit about you, Krista, your background and how you got so involved in home care advocacy. My background is in all in government. I worked on Capitol Hill. I worked in the Obama administration at CMS. I also worked in the state of Illinois at the Department of Healthcare and Family Services. And I ran the health division for the National Governors Association. So I've been back and forth between state and federal government and have seen the importance of care models that are really dedicated to the future. And so I wanted to dedicate my career post-government to the future of healthcare. And I I see home-based care as the future. Hmm. By the way, one thing I'll say for listeners who aren't familiar with the way that DC works, I mean, outside of Capitol Hill, we often as consultants really run campaigns that we see are of interest to groups that are also in their industry associations, but maybe want to focus on something more vigorously than the association is focused on it. So that's why when you start a like a movie health home type coalition, the folks that opt into it are already parts of their own industries association, but they, they decided that they want to focus more on a particular issue. Mm-hmm. So is there some kind of a, entry point to be part of your coalition or is it, is it open to to anyone who has the same values that you do we're certainly open for membership um we do have a dues we um, really are looking for folks who are fellow travelers in creating new models for patients so there isn't necessarily like a criteria um so yes, we're open to anyone and our website, we have information on our website, movinghealthhome.org, and um, our contact information is there as well. Mm-hmm. Where do you see things heading in the next, let's say, I don't know, two years because we got to get through this pandemic, right? And how, how do you believe your priorities will evolve? And what are your goals going forward? What would be considered a victory or an accomplishment two years from now? 
The most immediate thing that we need to do is get a two-year extension for hospital at home. So either the extension or the demo, but some way to continue to allow the health systems who are innovating in that area to continue to innovate. The second thing we need to do is really solidify the champions that we have in Congress because this is going to be in some ways a long haul and we need them to, you know, to be dedicated enough to this issue to keep at it. So solidifying our champions, raising the awareness of how important health in the home is. I worked for nine years on telehealth policy until it suddenly became important and people realized how good it can be. And um, so we need, you know, we, we've already had that moment for care in the home with the pandemic. So we don't want people to um, forget about it and we want people to continue to do it. So I think momentum and education and then the immediate policy um, priorities, we need to get the extension of hospital at home. It would be great if we could get, we're going to get a bill introduced that is a permanent hospital at home program. And then we're going to introduce a bill on the broader issues related to care in the home, like primary care and dialysis, et cetera. And I mean, hopefully we can get it passed. So those would all be measures of success. Given the growth and uh, obvious popularity of home care, will your organization be obsolete in 10 years or will there always be a need for, for your type of coalition now that sort of you've gotten the attention of you know, policymakers. Question: I would love to always put myself out of business, um, but one thing that is that government policy is constantly evolving, and you don't always know the the rules that the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services are going to make, or um, you know, or what Congress is going to come up with. So, if you have a brand and a voice. I think it's important to stick around to be there if something happens or to shape, you know, new policies. So I don't know what the future holds. We have a lot of work to do in the short term. And if we're successful, then, I mean, maybe it will go on autopilot. But, uh, but you know, there's always a need for advocates. As much as people harp on lobbyists, you still need someone to kind of tell the government how it's really working in the real world and why the policy that they have is not going to work or will work. Mm -hmm. And finally, how do you see partnerships with skilled nursing facilities or other long-term care post-acute type organizations? Is that part of what you're striving for going forward as well? Yes, we have met with the American Healthcare Association on numerous occasions. They represent the skilled nursing facilities. They do have members that are interested in home-based care and have done some of it during the pandemic. In fact, they hosted a webinar a few months ago with some of their members and the experience that they had um, using telehealth in the, in the facility or moving people into skilled nursing at home. And obviously, the home health industry is very interested in moving in, in this direction, too. Um, so it really does take a village to get things done in Washington. So we are very connected with other groups around town who have common interests. Great. Well, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much again for talking to me. Krista Drobeck of Moving Health Home. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you for listening to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers podcast. For the latest in home care news, visit McKnight'sHomeCare.com.